last fielder. He's gone to the dogs. I'm sitting here today with a fella. Well, actually, I'm not sitting with him, but by the miracle of Ma Bell and the telephone system and computers and Al Gore's Internet and all that stuff, we're going to have a great visit today with a fellow that I've wanted to get up with ever since I first heard him. Uh, when I think of this guy, I think kind of about these guys that make the rounds on the late-night talk uh, TV shows, you know, when a guy is uh, – a popular guy, and he's got a good story to tell. You kind of see him on more than one show, and that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, my guest uh, today is Jason Darty. Uh, Darty. Yeah, how do you pronounce that exactly, Jason? You, 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 you did it right. I did it right, huh? Is yeah. that the way they say it down there in uh, in uh, Spotsville, Kentucky? Well, yeah. Well, no, not really here. Uh, most of them around here is Daughtrys and Dorderys, and but it's 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 Darty. Yep, Darty. Well, that's, okay. Well, I know I've learned a lot about the uh, towns and stuff in in Kentucky. Uh, you know, you can tell if a guy is not from Kentucky if he says he's been to Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, he's from Kentucky. No. No, no. Boy, I got a lot of good memories of Kentucky, and, and I'm sure you do too. But, Jason, you were on the, tr the truth portion of the Houndsman XP podcast that's hosted by Josh Michaelis. And I, this is nothing you don't know, but I'm, I want to uh, familiarize the audience uh, with who you are. And uh, I listened to your story, and it was riveting. I mean, it kept me uh, on the edge of my seat through the entire episode. It was a great episode. And then later on, uh, mo most recently, I heard you on another podcast with Josh, and it was more of just two guys talking dogs and man it was good i wish uh you know uh, that i'd been sitting there uh that could thrown in a little nugget every once in a while but it was good conversation and that's what really prompted me to to get you on uh the gone to the dogs podcast so we can just talk dogs buddy you up to that well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad to have somebody that actually knows dogs besides me and Josh. You know, we don't know much, so we're <laughs> we're, we're glad to have somebody more seasoned that, you know, knows more than what we do. We might learn something today. Well, oh, I tell you, I, that seasoned part, if you're talking about, uh, if that's uh, synonymous with old, then you nailed it right there because I'm well, definitely just... seasoned. There's been a lot of seasons come and go. <laughs> Since well, I first went to the woods behind the dog, and uh, but I think you and I have a a kinship there for sure, and all dog people do that really love this crazy sport called coon hunting. It uh, it's all about the dogs. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean the friendships that we get—that's just icing on the cake. You know, we meet a lot of good people and and people that are our friends for life life but boy these old dogs they somehow they kind of get next to you and they stick with you and uh, they suck you into this sport but uh 
You know, the other day, uh, Jason, um, we're going to cover a whole gamut of stuff, and I'm I'm not going to go back over uh, your previous stories in those podcasts. I urge the listeners to go over to the Houndsman XP podcast and uh, uh, go down the list there and find the the podcast that, that you're in. And I think uh, both of them so far uh, have been with Josh Michaelis. Is that right? Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, and he I've calls done. it the truth yeah, uh, the tr- uh, about coon hunting, I believe. Isn't that right? Yeah, something like the truth. Yeah. How XP the truth portion or something? Yes, yes. Yeah. But I, I, I definitely urge the listeners to go over and uh, listen to that after they've listened to this one, of course, and uh, and uh, to get to know more of who you are. But I want to give lay just a little bit of, of background here. Um, I know you weren't just the guy sitting on the side of the road selling tournament greens when I first heard about you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the song says. Yeah, uh, you you have a resume in the coonhound world, and uh, and you've done, been successful. Tell me real quickly now. You won a national championship in PKC. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I won the national championship in 2019. I got the reserve national champion in 2018. I got a super stake right. champion. Super stake champion in 2015, and super stake champion in eight, 18, 18, yeah, 18. That's yeah. that's pretty healthy, uh, as we say. That's pretty salty, right there. You you definitely have had success at the highest level, and you know. I love to to hear the stories of the successes of people in this game. But what I love most is that as I realize that a person like yourself has that kind has had that kind of success, I realize that there's a lot behind that. There's a lot of uh, uh, of things that made that happen. You don't just go and well, of course to enter the nationals i i as many people know uh that listen to me know that i worked for pkc for almost seven years and i always thought that the pkc nationals was the hardest and the most significant hunt that pkc has i the reason that i believe that is of course i will attended several nationals the very first one that i attended was in flora illinois and i I believe that might have been the year that that Jess Dickerson won with the Mabel female. I'm pretty sure, but I could be wrong on that. But anyway, to get in the Nationals, you you don't just show up and say, here's my money, Uh, let me go hunting. Uh, It's a qualifying process, and all the dogs that are there have been through that process. Isn't that right? Every every dog that's there has won a thousand dollars open money that calendar year, or or a gold champion prior to the event. So they've won, they've they've won. Every dog yeah. there has has won. Well, we have a lot of listeners that aren't really plugged in yet to the competition scene, but they aspire 
to to do what you've done and uh, you know the gold champion level was a ten thousand dollar level right yeah in lifetime earnings so yeah and i when i was at pkc i also i judged uh dogs that had won previous uh uh, national championships. I remember judging Jeff Stallard with the Slamet Lefty Dog one time uh, at the Nationals. I believe that was out of Florida. I'm not sure, but there's been others, and I don't want to start name dropping here. But uh, at any rate, I just want to lay that groundwork that you know to to win the national championship, not only win it, but also be right there knocking on the door. Uh, now, did you? Did you play second before you won it or after you won it? Yeah, before the year before. The year mm-hmm. before I won it, I, I placed second. Yeah, yeah. Knocking yeah. on the door. I was knocking on the door. Had it had it won, really, the first hour of the hunt, I was buying trucks and figuring <laughs> out what I was going to do with all my money. But uh, so had it. There, there was another one that was counting money, too. He just he wasn't <laughs> counting it out loud, and that was shot through the world. He 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 put he left a bad taste in our mouth that year when I, <laughs> I come home from that there i sat in my mind and i went to work and i had my mind on that one hunt and that was the nationals the next year and we went back up there and we finished it that how about time. that now what was the dog that see th- now this happened after see i left pkc in 2004 and that's when I went to work for the AKC, and then I retired in 2011. Uh, what was the dog? Were you hunting the same dog both years there? Yeah, yeah, same dog. Okay, tell us a little bit about that dog. Well, that dog was, I don't know, I mean, about like the rest of my story that you'll listen to over there on the other podcast is, uh, it just seemed like everything in my life just falls where it needs to be. And um, I was at a point in my life where I was tired of messing with every pup here and there and it just not turning out. I mean, I was buying these pups back then. You know, nowadays the prices has really changed. I couldn't even afford to buy one now. But back then, you know, you buy three, four, five pups and they not really turn out. Uh, It puts a hurting on your pocketbook. So uh, I just got tired of really buying pups. So I put an ad on a. I think it was on the Pro Hound or the UKC board or wherever. I, I can't really remember. Thank you. No, it was UKC board. And uh, I, I put on there, I was honest with them. I said, look, I'm not buying no pups. I'm tired of buying them and they're not turning out. But if you've got a litter you believe in and you've got a pup left and you want to get it in hands of somebody that'll give it a chance, then I'm your man. And uh, I had one phone call and it was a man named An- Andy Perk from uh greensville ohio he called and he told he told me the cross he had there it was a it was a cross he felt that he had a you know he put a lot of time and effort and thought into it you could really tell that by talking to him and uh just just so happened it come from uh it was jess dickerson he would have had bred uh his jip to jess's male dog and he said he had one big fat male pup left that nobody wanted that uh, I could have if uh, I could get it a ride. So I had a friend that was at Autumn Oaks, and he was up there. And I told him, just throw that old pup in there and bring him to me. And uh, I got him home there, and my wife immediately knew that she, she's got pictures of him at eight, nine weeks old. Mm-hmm. I'd bring the old coontail or something in from hunting, and I'd play with him out there in the backyard with it. 
and uh she said you know he's gonna be she, she made a facebook post when he was about nine weeks old said future world champion uh, <laughs> you know a man that messes with well, that's not putting dogs. you under any pressure is it <laughs> no it wouldn't put me under it, well, at the time, I'm not even realizing, you know, how big it was going to get. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, man, it messes with a lot of dogs. You know, he, one comes through, you know, he sees it. You know, they're not all world champions. We know that. Uh, yeah. Very few make, very few make champions. Uh, and it's just funny how that, that pup just, I mean, he was so smart. It just, everything fell in place for that pup and me to get to work we was at there i mean it's just a blessing more or less uh not i mean i put a lot of work in uh don't get me wrong a lot of nights working on that pup but i don't know i just feel like them real good ones are more sent to you at a time that you need them more than anything else i, I think that that's just how that works but well uh, i think you're uh, a lot like me uh jason that you know, you believe that things happen for a reason. Now, what was the was the dog's name? Uh, I named him Insane Ex-Con. Just uh, back, more or less from my background, I thought Ex-Con sounds like a good name for a dog. <laughs> for, yeah, uh, yeah. So well, I, I, what I named him, I just call him X. Uh, easy right. to say, easy to strike, and easy to tree, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that's a, certainly a famous uh, name and 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 a line of of famous dogs there. And oh, every time I have a guest, especially somebody that's been around like yourself, generates all kinds of stories. And I've hunted with Jess Dickerson. I've judged uh, or actually guided uh, Jess at a, a thousand added in Michigan one night. We had a really good and interesting hunt that Jess wanted after daylight. Uh, well, I mean, we got to his dog after daylight. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I really enjoyed that experience. Uh, of course, I've known Jess for years and enjoyed talking to him here uh, this last year at the Tournament of Champions there in Greencastle. And uh, always a, uh, a pleasure to, uh, you know, that those guys – uh, well, I'm getting down a rabbit path here, and I'm going to <clears throat> jump off of it real quick here. But Russ Meyer and Rusty Jones that used to hunt with uh, uh, Jess and all, just people that I always enjoyed seeing and spending time with, you know. But that's that's a little side. That didn't cost you, listeners, that didn't cost you any extra, okay? We're not going to charge you for that. <laughs> so, okay. <clears throat> now, were your Super Stakes wins with XCON too? Uh no. Uh my super stakes win the two thousand fifteen one was my start. Um and we've talked about this about, you know, like hunting dogs for people and all that. And I grew up and I watched uh Bobby Burden, well I guess the whole world knows Bobby Burden, but uh I kinda grew up watching him and that's kinda what he did. He fiddled with dogs for the public and all that. And, that's something I don't know why, but I wanted to get into. And uh, there you go again. I put me another ad on the on the board there and uh, looking for a fall dog. I put it there the uh, day after the spring super stakes. It gave me six months to prepare. And uh, I got a call from Greg Minkler out in Kansas, another well-known dog man, breeder. And uh, Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time because, see, I just got started in the competition in 2013. And uh, Greg called me there and he said, I don't have a dog, but he said, I'm willing to buy one if you can find us one. So I hit the road and went looking for something to work with. I wanted a one-year-old. And uh, I went and looked at a dog in Tennessee. She didn't pan out for me. And then I went and looked at a dog in southern Illinois from a guy named Brad Malton, Garrett Malt, uh, dad and son there. And uh, he had the uh, he had the parts, and I felt like I had the tools to put him together to to make what we needed. And uh, that that year, during that six month period there, uh, Greg paid me a fee of two hundred dollars a month. I did it for two hundred dollars a month to get my foot in the door. I felt like I feel like it's today. I feel like you got to earn, you know, I don't, I'm sure they didn't start paying Steve Fielder right after the gate when he was 13, 14 years old to do what he does <laughs> today. You've got to earn those stripes. You've got to earn that money. You got to earn your raises. So I did it for $200 a month and was happy to do it. It was something we agreed upon. And, uh, that summer, man, I worked that summer. That dog had some holes. It was kind of rough to do with the beans being in and the crop fields. And uh, we went up there, and if you told me I was going to win it when I pulled out of my driveway, I would have laughed at you. But uh, we went up there, and we walked right through them. Uh, got in on Monday night, laid in the hotel room Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Friday, we walked through them again, and then right into Saturday. And uh, that dog put on a show up there, and uh, we won it all. And um, what was the dog's name? The dog's name was uh, Spotted Eagle. Uh, some kind of name that uh, Minkler come up with, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, now what age group were you hunting in? That, that was a one-year-old. One-year-old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, been a, what was it, sophomore. Yeah. Sophomore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, that, and what year was that, Jason? That was 2015. Now, uh, okay. once I won it, once I done won it, me and Greg, we, we met up out there at the fairgrounds for him to get his dog. And I told him, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to renegotiate the contract. You know, <laughs> you know, because I felt <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I felt like I had showed, you know, what I'm capable of doing. And, uh, you know, we couldn't meet, we couldn't meet eye to eye on the contract, so uh, we we separated ways. Uh, still. I love Greg today. He talks to me. I talk to him. No hard feelings, but right, you know. Just. Well, I want to talk to you about some of that, uh, Jason. As we kind of dig down, I, you know, I kind of have a goal for this podcast that we can kind of get the story, you know, maybe from a different angle. And I don't mean any anything. Uh, derogatory toward anybody but you know we all have a story about how we got started and and i joke about it and i i don't mean any offense to anybody i say you know we all got started with a cur dog and a lantern you right. know right. <laughs> but but um those stories are good and it's good to tell our roots and where we came from and how we did get started but i think there's so much uh, to be said about uh, 
our experiences that we can encounter along the way. I named my book Gone to the Dogs of Coon Hunter's Journey. And I believe this thing is a journey. You know, we start out, we don't know where it's going to end. Uh, hopefully, uh, well, for you and me, one, uh, both, it hasn't ended yet. You know, yeah. people yeah. say, you've been a coon hunter all your life. And I said, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but I am slowing down, that's for sure. But you bring up the subject there of hunting a dog for somebody else. Yeah. And that's something that I have had a little bit of experience with, not on the hunt being the handler, but being, you know, the owner of a dog. Be, right. uh, and and uh, I know it's all over the board and all, but I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit for the benefit of the listeners. Um just to kind of see what, you know, basically what goes on between an owner and a, a handler and so forth. And if, as guys get older, there's no doubt about it. This is a young man's game. There's no way possible that I could compete. Uh, I might, I might be all right on a $30, uh, hunt at the, uh, one hour hunt on at the local club on Wednesday night, but, you're not going to put me out there, you know. Uh, I understand that. I do. I yeah. understand. Well, when you agree to, to hunt a dog for someone else, is there a general, um, well, no, let's do it this way. Rather than get that number and all, what generally are the categories of expenses that that you might, as a handler, might be expected to, to face? And I know that, you know, we, what do you, and I guess what I'm trying to get to is what do you typically as a handler have to be responsible for and what is the owner responsible for? Well, it, it all, it all depends on what our goal is. Uh, as you know, you, I've hunted dogs for the public for the last several years since Eagle. Um, some people just want to take their dogs and tune them up and, you know, get them ready for a uh, first season. Uh, some people want you to take their dogs, get them ready for the hunts, and want you to hunt them. So it 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 changes as far as the goals that you both have in mind. But most generally, the expenses that I have as a handler is dog food, um, gas, running up and down the road to get to the hunting. My most of my hunting is twenty thirty minutes away. Uh, it's my duties to make sure the dog stays healthy. To, uh, you know, if anything pops up that out of the ordinary that this dog's doing, you know, I need to let the handler or the owner know, and then we can talk about vets and vet expenses after mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. so you leave that kind of open ended for it, it, as, as they occur. It, it is kind of open ended to, to as as they occur, but uh, mm -hmm. the, the main thing is to sit down and figure out the goals that, that you know. If my goal don't meet your goal, then most likely this here probably ain't going to work out in the long term style mm. thing. Well, uh, that's an angle that I, I really hadn't thought about, but that's that's great advice because you don't really, you got to sit down and figure out what the job is. You got to do a, a more or less like a scope of work here, what's facing us here. And, right. and, and look at it there. Well, so basically then when you would come, I, I've got a dog, I want you to hunt for me and get him ready, uh, for, you know, the super stakes, let's say, 
And so when you negotiate a price with an owner, you're thinking about now you're going to want to get enough money from that owner each month to cover those general expenses of, of the dog food and any uh, vet care, uh, maintenance stuff, gasoline, all those stuff. Uh, things i'm i'm stuttered today i have i'm my nap must not have uh, uh done me any good i always get my nap you know in the afternoon uh, man need man needs a nap oh uh, yeah I, I think that's something all coon hunters need before dark's a nap yeah. <laughs> i agree i agree wholeheartedly but no ju- just thinking so you do kind of figure when you agree to a price with an owner I, uh, yeah those I, things I, I try to I try to take into account everything that you know I'm going to be out. Uh, sometimes it don't work that way, and sometimes you know I'm more of if if we agree to something, that's what I'm going to try to do, mm-hmm. uh, no matter what happens. So if uh, if I don't account for something and it comes up, well then it comes out of my pocketbook. But not all handlers are like this. It's just certain certain. It's just how I was taught to do things. I got uh, you. Whatever we agree on, our handshake is is bond between me and whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be, you know, I you know, I you got counting them flea and tick pills, them heartworm oh, yeah. pills, yeah. them things went up. Uh, mm. All all that comes into effect whenever you you agree to take a dog. Uh, that's the first thing I do when a dog gets to my place. I don't even ask the owner have they give a heartworm pill or a flea and tick pill, they going to get it before they go in my kennel because that's, you know, that's right. my area. I try to keep it clean. I lime every time a dog leaves. I put lime in before the new dog comes in. Uh, just little things like that right there. I don't really account for. I'd do it if, if it was for myself or my mm-hmm. dog, you know, mm-hmm. put my own dog in there. Uh, I, you know, basically, yeah. what, basically whatever you and that man that you're hunting for comes up with, and you're both happy with, long both happy. Uh, that's all matters. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of I think universal throughout the dog world. You know, you say uh, many times I've been called upon over the years in my job to determine the value of a dog. Let's say a dog, you know, got killed right. uh, uh, by a, a crazy landowner or whatever, right. and they come to me, usually the insurance company, and ask me, what's the value of this dog? This guy's asking $10,000. No dog's worth $10,000, is it? And, I, and, of course, I would have to set them straight and tell them, you know, uh, give them examples and so forth. But the old, th- uh, the old uh, reply that I generally had with them was, you know, it's it's basically what the owner's willing to take and and, and the buyer's willing to give in this game. So the prices, you know, run all over the the board. Yeah, they, they vary. They yeah. vary. Well, so uh, as do you think most paid handlers are are paid on a monthly basis? Uh, let's call it a salary or whatever. Or are they paid by the event or what? Whatever. Well, like I said, it could be when you pull up at. I, I'm gonna use Mississippi. This last hunt we we really had was Mississippi. The the hundred thousand dollar purse giveaway hunt down there. PKC put on. When yeah. you pull up down there, you're pulling up to uh, a buffet of different deals that has been made. You you've got some down there that that pay their own way, that own the dog, and 
they get they're out all the expenses you've got some that work for the month by the month that get paid that have got a deal where if they win they get half you've got some you've got a few that get paid weekly that are just like you would if you worked at walmart they have taxes pulled out on them they 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 got a truck furnished they've mm-hmm. got um their, their room and boards paid their food everything they spend is paid for it's just it like i said it varies different people different whatever whatever you and that guy sit down and come up with is what it is it ain't no right. it, it it's not really like the taxes you know you ain't got a bracket that you fall into mm-hmm. it's just yeah it's more or less well more or less the just, word of I'm jumping in on top of you, and I apologize, uh, Jason. But would you say just all, and you know this is a guess? I, I would have to be what percentage of, uh, of the handlers would be in that category where they're on pretty much on the time clock. They get a regular paid check coming every week. They get expenses, room uh, mileage, or whatever. And I'll do, what would you say? There's a percentage. Uh, of guys that do that, or, or you would know what that percentage would I'm be. Gonna say, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it. Uh, I'm gonna say it's ten percent. Yeah. I'm gonna say ten percent of your handlers mm-hmm. have those those benefits of yeah. getting paid weekly. You know, just like you would at a job. I'd say ten percent right. of handlers have that. Maybe that, that and I'm giving a few percent really. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess too, Jason. You hit yeah. hit right on the nail head what I I uh, would have thought about. Uh, uh, well, you know, as a, a paid handler, you're working for an owner. How much of the non-hunt related uh, travel do you have to do? I mean, you know, are you? I guess that's your agreement with the guy again. But are you out there trying dogs or, or delivering dogs or, you know, are you expected to just show up at the event with the dog, I, you know, prepared? I, I'm I'm sure it varies, but the, the mainly the people that I know personally that do it, we raise and train our own dogs. You know, we don't really out there looking to buy a dog because it, if we go out and buy a dog, it's not going to suit us. Uh, that dog has got to be with us for a long period of time to get to know us and what we expect um so as far as running and looking at dogs i'm i'm doubting that there's much expenses out as far as that goes uh really about everything we do as hunters is hunting related i Mm -hmm. mean if i get my truck and i go down store get me some chewing tobacco you know i'm going down there get that chewing tobacco to go hunting tonight <laughs> that's, so, you know, that, that's a that's, hunting experience that's hunt related yeah yeah absolutely about everything we do really is hunt, yeah. hunt related. we don't really do much of nothing that ain't hunting yeah. related or revolves around the dog or going to the vet or something like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, i'll throw in good. a little story here real quick and of course you know i've got a lot of them but back in my ukc days there was the story of dr jay cox I don't know if you were even around coon hunting at that time, Jason, but there was a gentleman from East St. Louis, Illinois, that got a government grant to hunt and and, uh, and study the black and tan coon hound. And he had several handlers uh, across, and I could name these guys, but I won't. 
but uh, these guys were at a hunt somewhere every weekend, and he was working on uh, on government money, uh, doing the research on these dogs. And uh, one of the handlers told me one time, he said they were at a world hunt, and I don't remember which one. And after the hunt was over, he got all his handlers together, and he said, okay, boys, you've worked hard. We've had a good year, yada, yada, yada. I want you to go home. Uh, you know, be with your families, get some rest, you know, and I'll get back with you and we'll plan out what we're going to do from here. This guy said he drove all the way back home, and I believe it was to Illinois where he lived, and he said he had no sooner got in bed and turned out the light when the phone rang, and it was Dr. Jaycock saying that there's a dog over here, so-and-so is God in such-and-such such a state. I want you to be there tomorrow night uh, by dark to be to go hunting with that dog because we're thinking about buying him. So, <laughs> so you well, know. Now, there is, there, now, there is, there is groups out there till still today that do that. But mm -hmm. I can't speak on half of them because I don't. I'm right. not close enough to them sure. to know. I right. know the group that I'm around. We're not really looking to buy buy a dog because we know that when we buy it, it's going. It's, we're just buying work is all we're mm -hmm. doing. We're buying more work. Whereas to if we raise them and train them, we it's a little less work really. Uh, yeah, than, right. Right. Well, I want to buzz on through this because I really want to get on on down to some other questions that I've just been burning uh, a hole in my in my soul, so to speak, to ask you. But uh, so uh, these dogs are basic. I mean, these uh, deals, these dog handling deals, are usually a matter of private treaty, aren't they? I mean, are contracts ever involved where there's actually a written contract? I've, I've personally never been in one. Uh, I have thought about it. I think it should be because uh, mm -hmm. in this day, uh, uh, let's just face it, in this day and time, things has changed. And a man's word ain't really what it, it, it used to be. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I think it's something that should should probably be looked into and on both sides. You know, you can look at it from both sides. Uh, sure. you got an owner that's pitching out. You know, some of these guys pay pretty hefty. Uh, they pitching out $50,000 a year for handler salary and they're not getting $20,000 worth of work out of. Them. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think, and from both sides, uh, it's something that would, I think would benefit from the contract because when you're underneath that contract, you've got to meet your standards. And, uh, I don't, I've never personally had one, but I think it, it's a good idea. Well, I think in this day and time, it is to protect yourself, not right. you know, as well as to protect your owner's interest. You know, right. uh, I, yeah, I definitely think it's a good idea. I got into that a little bit. Just uh, it wasn't really a contract, but when I lived in Michigan and I would go around and try to get new spots to hunt, I had a release that I would uh, sign in the presence of the landowner, saying that I will hold them blameless. If I got hurt, if I uh, did any damage to their property, that I would be responsible for it and uh, things like that, you know, because people, a lot of these landowners, uh, they don't really mind you hunting or being on their property. They're right. afraid you're going to get hurt and sue them, you know. I ain't blame them. It's damn yeah. time I can blame them. No, that, that's for sure. That's absolutely sure. Well, um, so... In the realm of compensation, 
uh, and we'll get off this here in a bit, uh, the expenses and such, uh, uh, are they usually all the expenses? Uh, well, I guess you've already answered that. Because when you say, in other words, if you come to me and you say, okay, I'm going to handle that plug you've got uh, out there, Steve, uh, I'm, you know, I want X number of dollars to do that. You've already figured in all your expense that you fi- you think that you're going to incur, plus the money for your time and 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 knowledge and knowing what to do with that dog. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like I said, sometimes you know, like you know, I've got a partner with X, and uh, we just we're just partners. You know, uh. Mm-hmm. He don't pay me. He don't pay me uh, nothing through the week or the month or the year mm-hmm. or nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I get ready to go to hunt, I'll just call him up and say, look, Jeremy, I've uh, got this hunt down here in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi I'd like to go to. Uh, and he pays the entry fee, and we split whatever we win. But, uh, yeah, it's just like I said, it's whatever y'all come up with in mm-hmm. the beginning. Uh, whatever you come up with in the beginning, I think, you know, you kind of need to stick to that. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, yeah. but that's all it is basically just, you know, between me and you, you know, private free, I guess you'd say. Well, let's, let's say, uh, how much, uh, input do you have typically with an owner? Let's say this dog that he's got his hopes and dreams set on and you, you take this dog out and and you realize after not too much time that this is not the dog that uh, that is going to bring those dreams uh, about for this guy, or it's just not a dog that you can can tolerate, that you can go hunting with and enjoy it. Uh, how much input do, do you have there? I mean, if you say, okay, if I bring you my dog and I say, I want you to hunt this dog for three months, let's say, or six months, whatever. And, and, uh, uh, can you put the brakes on and say, Hey, Steve, this is not working out. Well, I, a lot of people tell you the same thing. I'm, I'll break more hearts than a high school girl does. Uh, I'm real picky and particular about Mm -hmm. my dog. So I've broke a bunch of hearts, but, um, I really think it's what your goals are. Like I said before, your goals, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, if our goal is to, uh, get a dog ready for first season, I'm not much, uh, going to be as hard on it and expect as much as if our goal is to win a hundred thousand dollars this year. Uh, yeah, it, it does depend on how long I've got that dog. You know, uh, it's hard for me to take. I've seen several dogs that, you know, when I first get them, I'm like, oh, my gosh, so he expects me to do this with this. Mm-hmm. And a dog is like just like a person. You know, it uh, it takes some dogs. It takes a little bit to get used to what I expect out of them. Just like if I went to work for you today, uh, I'm sure your expect expectations of my my work would be higher than what I could bring in the beginning. But mm-hmm. as I'm around you and, and, and learn your expectations, I think I could get better at it. And, and it's the same mm-hmm. way with a dog mm-hmm. when you first get it. Uh, right. you, you first get that dog, you, you know, if I got it from you, uh, you know, you, you probably, you know, don't expect them to bust in there uh, three quarters of a mile in three minutes. Uh, right. So it takes that dog some used to get used to. But yes, me as a handler, 
it really depends on what kind, like I said, what kind of deal y'all got worked out. Mm -hmm. If he's the boss man and I'm getting paid, then the way I look at it, it's my job to do what the boss says, whether I like it or I don't. But I think a boss ought to trust his handler because he's paying him because of his dog sense. Right, and if you're not going to trust the information that he's feeding you back, you know, then really you're kind of wasting your money. Just go out here and get the town drunk, you know, to handle your dog for you. You you understand what I'm saying, and and that's basically for sure. For sure. Well, uh, what you uh, you know on feedback? Now, this is something that I I don't. my experience with handlers have been pretty much with young dogs that were at that stage when they needed, they were started, but they needed to be, uh, you know, I won't say finished and polished, but they needed to be hunted and they needed to bring what God gave them, you know, to the surface. And I have had trouble with guys being truthful with me. You know, yes. uh, not doing what they said in the beginning that they would do. And basically, right. the only requirement I had, have always had, is you take care of the dog and, you know, don't turn him loose on the interstate, but yep. hunt the dog. That's yes. what the dog needs. I'm old school. I, I personally believe that there's no substitute for hunting one, you know. And, and, but I've had guys that I know human nature and, uh, you know, they weren't doing what they said. They weren't hunting that dog. They weren't putting the dog, you know, out there night after night. And I think one of the hardest things in in the world is to find somebody that will hunt your dog the way you would hunt it. Well, right. if I could hunt it, I would be hunting it, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Because I love to hunt, and right. I love to start pups, and I love to see them progress and, and ride on up, you know. But so uh, how often, you know, would you typically uh, talk to your owner, you know, about the dog? Uh, what would you be telling them, you know, basically how the dog's doing, uh, the holes maybe? In the, how, how does that process go? Well, it it depends. Uh, there you go again. Different mm-hmm. different people and different owners. They they talk differently. Uh, some of your owners uh, call you every night mm. and want to know how that dog's doing. Some of them you you've got to leave a message just to get a call back. Uh, yeah. it, different ones, different things. I personally like a, a an owner that calls me and wants to know. Uh, you know. Because I'm actually out there doing the work. So right. when you call me, it helps me to vent. You know, I can say, you know what your old stupid dog done tonight? <laughs> you know, and when they're good, they're my dog. You know, I said, you don't know what my dog did tonight. <laughs> you know? three, three singles, you know. Yeah. Um, it just depends. Uh, me and Jeremy, we, we might talk once a month. And sometimes when we talk, we don't even talk about the dog. But uh, yeah, it just mm-hmm. it Like I said, man, it just so much is just. It just depends on the people, really, man. Uh, just you know, I know uh, I'm. I don't want to use Mister Yoder and Bobby and them. They're real close. They're like family, so they talk quite often. Uh, mm-hmm. Once a day, once a week, something on that lines. Man, uh, we can stop right here and just give a little shout out to those guys. Man, did they have that team have a big weekend at the Jarvis Memorial uh, Jarvis Humphers? 
memorial hunt there, you know. I mean, um, I think in, in one of the hunts, I don't remember which one that uh, that uh, Bobby and, and uh, Zach were in, the final four together. Yes, uh, yeah. And when you look at it on the surface, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I'm not tuned into this thing like I was at one time. But you say, well, why did they split? Well, man, you got two dogs in there split. With two dogs is is as good as winning it, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, and and you got to kind of know you got to kind of know them too. Uh, we've kind of been taught to let everybody uh, decide their fate. You know, we don't want to walk in. We don't walk in a clubhouse cocky, telling them keep their boots on. Uh, yeah, that's not that's not us. We you know, y'all want to split, we'll split. If y'all want to hunt, hey, we're not scared to hunt. You know, All right? Whatever. But and I think it, they in that situation right there where they was both in, like you said. I mean, they're bringing home a hefty purse. Yeah. Uh, Topper was uh that that right there put Topper. If they split, he's all time money winning dog. Yeah. Yeah. If something happens, they was to take him out there and cut him loose and he get fourth, well, then he's not the all-time money winning yeah. dogs. So yeah. Yeah. More to lose. Uh, yeah, more, and then more not to, just the money uh, on the right. up front. Yeah. Right. Uh, the only way they would have hunted would, uh, Sean, if he would have had a coon through there on his last tree, he would have been in the final four. If he would have been in, I believe they would have hunted. Uh, and mm-hmm. it would have probably went down in history books as the biggest fight ever on a cast probably <laughs> together. Uh, oh boy uh, yeah you know families they can get into some good ones but don't you uh, get in it <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a fact because uh, yeah. you'll find out what a family is then. that's right, right. <laughs> well they just had hats off to them for you know really yeah. having a terrific yeah. show and hats off to scott angle for yeah. winning you know yeah. the uh the other hunt and uh, it was a great tribute to Jarvis and I'm sure I don't know the hereafter except what I read in my Bible but uh, I'm sure if if that's the way things are in heaven he was standing up there peering over the over the gate with a great big smile on his face that's for sure yeah well let's talk about dog we talked we started out um, and I do thank you for your uh, being candid with me about these things. And last thing I want to do is get you on here and ask you questions. that going to make your buddies mad at you, but I, I didn't, I, you know, I don't want to get into personal aspects and, right. and, and all that, but for general information, I think that's great information that, you know, if you're going to get into this game, you know, you, you got to decide, can you have, do you have the ability to take a dog to that level? Uh, do you have the financial uh, uh, resources to do it? Uh, you know, do you have the dedication? You know, I heard you say that, you know, when you got uh, back on your road to recovery, you made yourself get out there every night and go coon hunting. And that's, when that's, you're hunting one for somebody else, it's pretty much that way, isn't it? The same thing. You've you you yeah. you've got to if you're if you're you know now don't get me wrong. There, you know there, it's good and bad people in every sport and everything in this whole world. But a good person cannot lay on the couch and flip through the TV station, knowing he's getting paid to hunt a dog, and here it is dark. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. 
I can't do that. Right. I, I've got to get up and go out there. It, there's nights that this dog don't even need to be hunting. It'd be better off if he was in the dog kennel. Yeah. It's just rough. It's nasty out. But I feel like I've got to do something to give that man his money because I know no matter how nasty it is out, he went to work today and earned that money that he sent to me. There you go. So that's what there it all you you're For a young man not quite 40 years old you're old school in your in your thinking and in your uh values jason really, that's just one I, of the things i really like about you i, I was raised by my papaw and these are things that he really stood for i mean he mm -hmm. there's you know that's basically about it you know yeah yeah well um you know in our little notes that we we shared there uh before we got together on this uh you know, I, I mentioned, you know, about, I wanted to talk about kind of the, the, uh, what goes into these dogs and, and, uh, uh, what kind of a dog could you expect? You know, you can take, and, and tell me if you disagree with this, Jason, cause I respect your opinion. You can take just about any dog and choose your level. If you want to go out on $30 hunts during the middle of the week, or you want to hunt at the, uh, oh, what we used to call open registered uh, uh, level in UKC or whatever, you can to take just about any dog that will open his mouth on a track and wolf tree and win occasionally with that dog. Do you agree with that or not? I agree. I agree. Right. But then when you start talking about getting one, you know, that's special, that can win, a national championship or super stakes not only once but multiple times you know these dogs uh realizing that dogs don't win every time they get turned loose otherwise you know it'd be be the same old story every day well you know uh uh what's the dog yeah. bobby's dog's name Top, topper dog you know well yeah. topper won and the also round uh runs were Joe, Spot, and Queen. You know, yeah, that's the news yeah. for this week. Yeah, it wouldn't be. <laughs> Tune no in, and we'll right. tell you where Topper's going to win next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's not quite that way. But I want no, to ask you, you know, how much you, because you're a dog man, and uh, and uh, you know, how much of these elements would you say, uh, you know, uh, are 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 important you know the natural ability of the dog preparation of the dog getting him ready uh you know just luck getting breaks at the hunts or being a good what we call a good handler and i want to i want to peel that one down a little bit to get what you think you know separates uh uh one handler from the other but what do you think about those? How, how much natural ability of the dog do you feel like you got to have? First off, off the top, 50% luck. That's any dog. I don't care what dog you got, how much ability they have. 50% luck. Then I'd say you could break the rest of those categories down into percentage to add up to your 100. Mm -hmm. uh, but 50% is absolutely luck. I mean, it's... It's crazy. I've seen, you know, like I said, when I pulled out my driveway with Eagle to head to the Super Stakes, there's no way I could would have won that. If you, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have laid a dollar to a hundred that I could win that. It, it just, it, it 
it's a lot of it is luck. But what I feel like makes a dog a winner is teaching that dog. You know, in order for a dog to win, he's got to know the rules. So teaching him that rule book is one of the biggest things mm. to me. You know, dog's got to stay out of your light. He's got to stay treed for that five minutes. He's got to hold pressure. Uh, so many things that that dog's got to learn that has to do with those rules in order to be a big winner. Uh, the natural ability comes in whenever you're talking about the accuracy of the, the, the coons that this dog trees. Um, but, I mean, there you go again, 50% luck, and you can mm. break the rest of it down. But I've not ever had no luck at nothing that I didn't put my time into. So uh, the, the old saying, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yes, absolutely. Uh, mm. I just believe that, you know, from that book that we read, uh, me and you, the, the Bible tells me that uh, whatever I put my heart and soul in is what I'm going to get in return. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I try to yeah. do is uh, I put my heart and soul into whatever it is I'm doing. And I try to teach them the rules as as we go along and uh, hope to have a little luck out of it. At yeah. the end. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I, I've said this many times before. You know, I was with UKC for many years. If I started back when I was, uh, you know, had a field reps job in 1978 and did that for three years and then eventually went there full time and was there for many years. But when I went to PKC, one of the the first things that stood out to me was that after the hunt deadline or whatever, in fact, I'll just tell it like it is. When I was at UKC, when we got the dogs all drawn and stuff, I got the heck out of there. And I went yeah. back to the motel or I went to a restaurant or whatever, and we had a master of hounds or field reps in place there to handle any questions and stuff because I knew the questions would be pouring in and they'd be pounding me in the ground. You know, I probably wouldn't get to bed that night yeah. and, and and being asked to arbitrate situations and, and all this. And I realize it's not like that now. But back in the day, it was. And when I went to PKC and I, I sat there in that tennis center, which to me, it, did you ever go to a hunt at the tennis center? I did. I did. One of my first, my first picture I ever got to was at the tennis center. Wasn't it an atmosphere to remember? It, it, it was a great atmosphere. And I know all the, the older generation love it. And uh, I can see why, because of what's down there and the cabins and <laughs> yeah. wasn't really a whole lot to do other than get to the tennis center and sit around and tell stories. Yeah. Trade dogs. Yeah. But when it got dark, oh, it's the worst place <laughs> in the world to have on. <laughs> well, let me just throw this out to you. I was hunting a little female out of Silver Dollar Stone and Mill Creek Molly, and she was super steak pup. <laughs> and the second year, I drew Camden, Tennessee, two nights out of three. And if they got a <laughs> – I'm sure that Avery and Billy Bell and the guys down there have done caught that. If there's a coon down there, they've already <laughs> skinned him. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, I agree with you yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. And it was a smart move to go to Salem where the coon yes. hunting and David Dial yeah. and, and Shane, all those people out there, Vern, all they do such a great job there year after year. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, oh, okay, so I got down that rabbit path, 
Uh, but I was going to, what was it I was going to ask you about right there? There was something I had that, that got me into the to the Tennessee. Oh, oh, I'm back on track now. Uh, welcome back. Uh, <laughs> here was the deal. When those guys would walk in off the hunt, how'd you do, Jason? I got beat. They will sidle over and get a cup of coffee, go sit down, you know. How'd you do, uh, Bobby? Oh, I got lucky. Yeah. Get him a cup of coffee and sit down. And I said, man, what a difference in the attitude here, you know, because I was used to the morning after at a big hunt like Autumn or something sitting there until I felt like I had spiked nails drove up through the heels of my feet standing on that concrete listening to these guys telling me if, uh, you know, this is how they got cheated. You know, and right. how how they shoulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, right. and, and not all of them, certainly not, right. but a, but a lot of them, <laughs> right. and and to me that attitude, you know, of realizing that it does take breaks, it it there is a lot of luck in it, but when it does all come together, when the stars line up, as they say, and you know that you did, like you said, you didn't sit on the couch flipping that. TV channels, you were out there in that cold and wind and rain and put the work in. And then when it comes to man, that's got to be a great feeling. There is no better feeling. I've done, everybody knows my past. I've done about every drug there is known to man, but there's no better high than that high of winning mm. a whole one of them big hunts. You know, there's yeah. no bigger high, especially like you said, when you put the work in. Because that's a go. I'm a goal-oriented type person, and when I can achieve a goal, it it just oh, it yeah. feels great. It feels great. Yeah. Well, you know, I had my little successes because I worked at UKC. They wouldn't let me hunt in the hunts because I was, you know, basically running the the right. operation. But I could hunt plot days every year where they had the all plot the breed hunt, which was not registered, uh, not licensed. So I prepared for that just like somebody right. else might prepare for the world hunt. And I did right. win it, you know, and I, and I know that feeling that high, of course, it was nothing like walking across and getting one of those great big checks, but, right. uh, well, the, the, I, I don't think it really matters about the check. I think it matters about your goal that you said, like you said, you prepared for that, like you did the world hunt. So, you yeah. got the same feeling that I did. It's just, you know, yeah. a little different. It's different. So. It is, and my preparation would consist of sending my wife down to Florida to visit her family for a month leading up to plot days, and right. I would be out there every night. I'd come in from work. I'd fix my supper. I'd, it's hot weather, July. They always had it in August. I could never figure that one out. But anyway, you know, I'd eat, and I'd lay down, and then I'd get up about 2 o'clock until daylight, come in yep. and then get my, get my, you know, uh, right. ready to go get a shower and go to work. You know, <laughs> maybe right. that's why some of my decisions at UKC came out the <laughs> way they did. But uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about handling. You know, we hear a lot about a good, you know, uh, handle. This uh, Jason Daughtry is a good handler. You know, I don't know about now. Now, well, you got to be. That's what the word on the street is. Let's just put it that way. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But 
you know, uh, I kind of got a little checklist here, and, and I want you to give me your ideas. Is it important? How important? Whatever. What about being in good physical condition? How important is that to a handler? Nowadays, it's very important because you got four dogs that scatter like flies in four different directions, and they're not out there 100, 200 yards. You got them miles apart. And it, it, you've got to be in some kind of shape. Uh, I haven't been in a hunt since, I don't know, just little old hunts here around the house. But, man, uh, I can tell that since I've not been in them hunts that my physical shape has gotten down. Because I like to ride this old four-wheeler. I got mm-hmm. when I'm pleasure hunting. I heard and, that. <laughs> and I like, I like to eat snacks as I'm waiting on them dogs to get free. <laughs> So uh, yeah. it, it's kind of took a toll on me. A man needs to be in very physical shape to keep up with, with the dogs. Uh, it's big. I mean, yeah. if you can't make it to the tree, you can't handle your dog, you know? Right. Well, back in my day, you know, when I was running up and down those hills and hollows of West Virginia and eastern Ohio and western Virginia, and all, and I was 135, 40 pounds of just wet leather. You know, I, I was tough. I mean, yeah. I was scrawny and all, but I could walk with you all night, you know. And, yeah. and I used to kind of snicker to myself when I went to Michigan and I'd go on a night hunt cast. And, and you know, we the hunt would be over and we'd be back in there a mile or, or something. And I'd look at, back behind me and it looked like a string of street lights back there. These guys trying to, you know, keep up to get back to the truck. And I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, I remember one night hunting with Jerry Wynn. I know Jerry recently passed. And we were walking back out like that. And Jerry was the same way. I mean, he could go through the woods. But, you know, now I, I and I can remember when I was hunting in the hunts up there, it was when I was with PKC already. And when I started seeing these dogs, these deep and lonely, with two looking down, you know, before that, the dogs all kind of packed up, right. and it was a calling contest, you know, a tree right. who who could who could get treed first uh, out of the bunch, you know. But man, that I noticed and, those things start changing. And I think I think that you know I, I told you earlier that I'm not a handler. Uh, I think that's when your handler rises to the tops on them trend contests mm-hmm. right out of the truck. You, you get, you know, that's when handling comes in. Um, since I've come along, uh, you know, we got a Garmin. Our dogs are always separated. I mean, it pretty much takes the handler plumb out of the equation uh, in most scenarios. Uh, now, there is scenarios that come along where you, you need to be a little slick about, you know, how you go about doing things. But uh, yeah. mostly nowadays, uh, the wins that I've really got, I can't say that I really handled my way in. I prepared for them, which made me know what my dog was doing. Uh, sometimes, you know, he'd take a track down old Creek bank or something and locate. And I'd know, Hey, that's a ground hole back. Don't, don't tree on that one. Uh, give him a few minutes. He'd get out of there and roll on in there and tree him a coon. And I'd tree him on it. But, uh, other than preparing and knowing your dog, the technology has really took a lot of the the technology and the way that we breed and raise and train these dogs nowadays has took a lot of the handling out of it well i've heard you say that before uh jason and i couldn't agree more with you uh 
yeah, I heard you say that before. And I thought, you know, he's right. You know, because when the dog's in there sitting all by itself, you got all the time you need to decide, hey, judge, you got me in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me listen a minute here. I mean, you may not be saying that out out loud, but that's what you're thinking, you know, you know, and so, yeah, go ahead and tree me, you know. Right. Well, well, it didn't used to be that way, buddy. I mean, I know, I know. Yeah. You had to know that locate, boy. That's right. where that term one bark tree dog, I think, came yeah, or, in. Or, you know? Yeah, or at least be able to tell somebody else's locate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to say, man, yeah. I don't want one with a good locate. Everybody be treeing on me all night. You know? Yeah. That old dog, one of the only plot to ever won the UKC World Hunt, old sizzling heat. Man, he was chop on the ground, chop on the tree, and he just went yeah. from one right to the other, and Jim Cannon knew it instantly, but everybody else in the cast is still sitting there thinking, you know, when's he going to locate? So, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, how important is it for you as a handler, and we know it's important for the dog to be able to travel well, you know? I mean, you spend a lot, of, you mentioned there, uh, at super, I think it was the nationals or the no super stakes. I believe you said where you got in and then you had to lay around the motel there three nights or whatever. And right. that time on the road and all, did you, did you always handle that pretty well? Did you I like don't. the travel or not? I don't. I don't, Steve. And that, that's what that kept me from. I could have won a lot more than what I've won, but I I'm more of a two hour from home type of man. Mm-hmm. If it's further than two hours and I've got to go stay, I got, I'm a nervous wreck on the road. I do not travel well. Uh, that is something a handler, a handler's got to be able to jump up and take off and leave everything at home. And, and mm-hmm. really, you know, you've got to kind of block it out of your mind that, you know, everything at home because you've got a job to do and you've got to be focused. Uh, when you like me, I'm thinking about when I pull out my driveway, did I turn the stove off? Did I? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did I did I unplug the washer in case there's you know what mm-hmm. just all kind of everything yeah. that, you know things that I can't even control that ain't mm-hmm. in my hands I think about while yeah. I'm gone and I just don't travel well. Right. Well, you know I've been both ways on that. You know I traveled for so many years with the registries and I would be away from home probably at least twenty five weekends out of the year, which is about every other weekend. And in the springtime or the fall, when things, the, the big events kind of piled up, you'd be gone maybe some seven, eight weekends in a row, you know. Yeah. And I always, after I retired, I still kind of liked to to run up the road to, to the Grand American or to, uh, you know, out to the uh, PKC world or whatever. And one of the things that's telling on me now at my age, 75, is that I'm not really enjoying that as much as I used to. You know, I just recently, the Winter Classic, I, well, it was the same weekend as the as the $100,000 hunt. I 
you know, I was going to go to Batesville. My buddy, Nubbin Moore, I used to go up to his place and overnight there, which around Birmingham, it kind of breaks the trip up, and then we go on together. Well, he couldn't go this year, and I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and go myself. Well, by the time, you know, I drive eight hours to Birmingham and another four and a half hours over there, that's 12, 13 hours of driving yep. by myself. Not that I'm afraid of driving by myself. Right, uh, you know, but I just don't enjoy that I- I- right. as much as I used to. You know, I never have. I never have. Well, that's you know, we talk a lot about the dogs that travel well, and some of them do, and some of them don't. Do, does right. X travel pretty well? My X never really cared. He eat good anywhere mm-hmm. he goes. He yeah. every hotel's just like home. Uh, mm-hmm. He traveled well. He he did yeah. real well. Well, that's First. good. You know, there's some that do and some don't. You know, some yeah, drink not, the water. And, you drink, know, you got to carry water for them and, yep. and things. Yeah. Mix a little feed here and there. Mm-hmm. Go down there. Uh, Eagle didn't travel well. We, he wouldn't. He didn't eat first two days. He was up there, and yeah, uh, Greg finally went over to uh, Walmart and bought him a pound of hamburger meat, and we mixed it there, and he he eat then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Some do and some don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Jason, I wanted to ask you a, a question that uh, I think will be helpful to some of our listeners. We've got new guys that haven't been to a hunt before that would like to get involved in it, and they're a little intimidated by it. And then we've got guys that have probably done it for years that could use uh, what I'm sure that you're going to share with us here. And that's about the temperament of a handler, how that handler, you know, should, uh, or, or maybe to his advantage, uh, the best way to handle himself in the cast. And, uh, you shared a, a story with me about, you know, how that kind of all starts out right when the cast gets called. What, uh, what do you have to say about that? Well, like I said, uh, you know, uh, the cast starts whenever the, the registry calls out the cast. Uh, they 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 holler for the handler and the dog uh, cast number three, uh, and they'll start reading off the dogs. Well, when you hear your name, you go up there and you meet with your cast. Uh, you're you know you set the mood right then. Uh, you know don't be afraid to reach out and shake the hands of the guys that you're going to be hunting against and let them know who you are. And uh, you know if you, if you you happen to see somebody's a little nervous or something, you know let them know hey we're going out there we're going to have a good hunt. And uh, you go on and, and meet up, and you put your boots and light on. And a lot of people get nervous, you know, before a cast. Uh, if you don't get nervous, you really not. Uh, you, you really shouldn't really, really be out there because you're not really enjoying it. But uh, you, when you cut them dogs loose, if if a quest, you know, we we hunt, and most time question don't even come up. You just go on about your business. But if if something happens and I'm in there and a, I'm not judging and a judge. We're at my tree, and I feel like my tree should be circled. And uh, the judge minuses me. I'm going to use the rules, and I'm not going to get hard-headed. Hard-headedness, uh, it's that way with anything you do, coon hunting or anything else. When you get hard-headed, you lose your cool. You should never lose your cool. Uh, the rules are set in place so that when we walk away, we feel like we've got a fair treatment. So if he if he minuses my tree, I feel like circled. I'm not going to blow up and holler, you know, hey judge, you know, you sure, you know, you can't do that. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to uh, ask for a vote, a cast vote. And mm-hmm. uh, if, if the vote goes against me, then there's another rule in place where I can bring a panel back out to look at my tree. I'm going to drop it. I'm not going to keep, a, you know, old man told me it's okay to ride a mule, but you got to get off of him when he stops. <laughs> so, man, you, so, you, that's a nugget right there that, that so, I, um, yeah. So uh, when it when it's over, uh, you drop it and you go on about the hunt, and uh, we come back later on. We'll figure out whatever it is, whether I'm right or I'm wrong or what it, whatever. A lot of times it's a difference of opinions, but uh, there's no sense of being hot headed or, or or being aggressive. Uh, no man, no man likes another man being aggressive towards him. You're just taking it to a whole different realm of something we shouldn't even be you know should never even got this far and that can be stopped by as soon as the cast is being called out by you know going up there and shaking hands and letting them know hey we're just going coon hunt you know yeah that's i've heard roy tramble say many many times down through the years after a question had come in and guys were chewing it back and forth and and you know maybe it was a panel and maybe you know you can tell when people get upset a little bit you know not flipping tables or anything like that but just you know a little bit and and roy had listened a little bit to that and he said boys y'all need to go coon hunting and sure. he'd get them by the shoulder and they usher them back toward the door, you know. And that that's a, a, really you hit on a good point right there, uh, Jason, is that, you know, state your, your, your complaint or your grievance or whatever you want to call it. Let the system work. You know, sometimes, you, you know, it's going to go in your favor. Sometimes it's not. But then drop it and go on and move forward. But there are, and you touched on this, there are procedures in place to cover virtually everything that that can happen out there on a cast. And PKC even has that common sense rule that, uh, you know, that sometimes you just can't find the exact chapter and verse, but common sense tells you that this is not right, you know. so Right. Yeah, yeah, very, very good points. Uh, uh, what about when you're, uh, uh, well, we know that knowledge of the rules is, is vitally important. You know, Jerry Ma always said, know your blue book and, and also know your good book. That's but, right. Yeah, but uh, when it comes out there to handling, would you call yourself an aggressive handler or a defensive handler or uh, what I'll call a situational handler just you know, whatever, uh, it requires. Well, when I go, I, I, when I go, I'm probably an offensive handler. When I go, I'm depending on what dog I'm hunting. But most generally, if you see me at a hunt, I'm hunting something that I believe in. So I call for whatever he does. Mm -hmm. If sparks, I strike him. If he trees, I dream and the rest is on him. Uh, that's all I can do. Uh, yeah. There is times I get in defensive mode where you have to ask me for a call. There uh, mm-hmm. you go. I use my book, my, my blue book. Uh, blue book states I got three barks, and the judge asks for a call. If the right. judge don't ask for a call in that situation, hey, I don't strike my dog. But uh, right. most if my dog barks, I strike him. If he trees, I trim. And it's that's worked for me and been good to me. So Yeah. And I think some guys tip the scale the other way. You know, they go out there and they think, okay, I'm going to be a hero and I'm going to minus my dog 
and all that. That's the judge's. Am I wrong? That's the judge's what? job to minus my dog, right? Or is it, it, it is it my job to say, Judge, my dog's off the tree? Uh, I look a little bit of both. It depends on the situation, where we're at, who we're with. I got it's you. That's where an old thing called situ- situational ethics comes in, uh, yes. you know, yes. and, and it really shouldn't. I shouldn't say ethical because we don't. Everyone advocate anybody doing anything that's not ethical, but, but yeah. Well, how important is it to be known as a good dog man? I mean, does that play into the game, or do you just need to know the rules? Uh, and and get out there and do it, or or you know what what do you think a, a, it comprises a good dog man? I think a good dog man is a man that knows his dog. Uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I said earlier in the in the in the in this uh, feature that uh, yeah this podcast that uh, knowing your dog is one of the things that's led me to my most success is. I can tell when my dog's in a body of water. I can tell when he's in a thicket. I can tell, you know, when he's located a ground hole. Uh, them's all great things that you need to know. A lot of times, a lot of dogs, you know, you get a lot of dogs that they want to hunt left. It don't really matter nowadays in age because you got them garments. But uh, there was a time whenever, you know, if you know you had hunted a left-handed dog, you, you kind of knew which direction you needed to walk in. Right. Uh, it just diff, you know. I, I think a dog man is just somebody that knows his dog. Uh, well, by the I know you're a dog man. Well, your reputation precedes you, but just by the statement you just made, talking about left and right-handed dogs, I bet there's a listeners out there that didn't know there was such a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. don't preferably like them kind. But, uh, you know, yeah. Every now and yeah. you'll get uh, right. Oh, just every little thing you can know about your dog will help you you know when it comes to winning the more you know the more dangerous you're going to be uh all right, right. To, that's yeah, like my good friend i'm sorry i interrupted you go go ahead no my good friend johnny brinkley that i love dearly down in uh, he lives around tallahassee florida and uh <laughs> i always for years and years, we pleasure hunted every January leading up to the UKC Winter Classic. And, and Johnny tells a story about a friend he had down there named Roosevelt. And they're talking about somebody asking him about uh, uh, his dog. How much did the dog open on track? He said, Roosevelt, does your dog open on track? And he says, uh, n- uh Yes, sir, and that's when he's most dangerous. He said. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess when he opened, you knew something was about to <laughs> about to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a good thing. Okay, here here's another thing on our list. All right, here. Do you think the GPS? You know, we're all using that GPS. You mentioned it just a minute ago, and uh, you know, wow, how, how did we ever live without them? But but have you? Do you think that the GPS has uh, increased the number of guys out there that you would consider to be good dog men, or has it? Uh, have they depended too much on it and maybe lost a step or two there? What do you think about that? I think it's helped and hurt. I think it's helped. It's helped us as dog trainers. I mean, mm. before before we'd be sitting out there questioning what you know what our dog was doing, we thought we knew, but we didn't know for sure. 
uh, nowadays you know exactly where he's at and uh, with birds out uh, that's come along uh, you can you can tell whether it's, uh, in a in a thick spot or if he's in a wide open field or going creek or it's helped so much in that but i think it took away from our ears uh because we're so much studying with the eye i've always heard that if somebody loses their hearing their eyesight gets better mm. or their smell you know you lose one sense the other sense picks up yeah so I, I think that's kind of what's hurt us now is uh, we're so busy watching. I'm going to use myself, for example. Uh, I'm so busy watching the Garmin that I'm not really paying attention to, to the sounds. And with mm-hmm. the dog, with the dog, it's the sounds that really tell the whole story. Yeah. Uh, a dog will bark. Dog's bark tells you everything. Uh, whether he's struggling on a track or whether he's got it up and hot and running or, or whatever. Uh, I feel like the Garmin, the Garmin's helped and hurt. Uh, it's got a lot more helpness than it has hurt. Uh, well, we can, I think if I can jump ahead of you there, maybe and anticipate that, you know, the safety aspect for, for sure. Yes, you absolutely. Know, and the, nobody, nobody wants, I don't care whether the dog's good or bad or in, or in between, we don't want to lose a dog on the highway. No, we don't no. want a dog to get on somewhere that's going to cause a confrontation with the landowner or something like that. And I think that's one of the main things. And then, of course, it's allowed us to recover these dogs. You know, when the hunt's over or whatever, we can oh, just yeah. go get them and get them, yeah. get them out of there, you know. And, yes. you know, Florida has passed a law down here. I believe it takes effect this year. And maybe I, I think it's in effect right now. That you have to have a, a GPS collar on your dog, yeah. Uh, which I think is a good thing for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine not having one. I mean, nowadays, oh. like the other night, I cut my little female loose, and my old dog, my old dog went one way. Well, I'm thinking she's with him, but uh, just so happened she opened the opposite way, and it's just nerve wracking. Not when I don't have her picked up, it's just. Mm. It just nerve. I mean, the nerve. <laughs> it does, and uh, you can't. Well, I don't know. You won't. Ever, you don't remember a time when you didn't have some kind of tracking device on a dog, do you? Well, uh, back. That's what I was getting ready to tell you earlier. Okay. The, the tracking devices made me enjoy hunting because when I was a kid, I remember riding around looking for dogs that wasn't even out there barking. Uh, oh yeah, my, my first mm-hmm. memories of. Of hunting was riding around looking for a dog and he was in the dog box the whole time <laughs> uh, yeah uh, to me that it didn't make no sense to me while right. he was the, yeah the GP well, made me like hunting more because mm. i can I know where my dog's at i get ready to go home i can go get him for sure for sure well it's like my dad used to say and uh, i know this might not be politically correct but people would, my dad was a bear hunter and they wanted to shoot a, a bear out of the tree with a bow, you know. And dad had had some situations where people had gone into his dog's tree and shot the bear with a, with a, an arrow and a, it didn't kill the bear. The bear came down, dogs got hurt uh, and, and, you know, and run all over the country and stuff, you know. So he used to always say, well, when the Indian got a gun, he threw his bow away. Yeah. 
that's kind of us with the garment. Yeah, that's right. I don't think anybody's going to say, uh, hey, just take my garment. I'm tired of fooling no, with that I, thing. I, you I, know? I don't know anybody that would want to do that. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, another little thing, uh, not a, any little thing at all, and it's always kind of amazed me as I think about the number of nights that coon hunters spend out there on the road. My mother used to say, be home by midnight. There's nobody out there but drunks, you know, after yeah. midnight. Yeah, but that's thing. when we're out there the most. Yeah. And, and quite often we're out there after we've been up all day at a, maybe a, a bigger hunt or something talking, and then we've been hunting, and maybe we've hunted a late round and starting to get daylight the time that everybody it seems to agree with me. That's when you're most apt to get sleepy. Yeah. And then, of course, and I don't have any idea what the circumstances were, but, you know, when the boys got hurt in the, in the truck wreck here recently in texas and we all were praying hard for them and all do you how how much do you think we we figure into that and do we all think we're just bulletproof or, or do you ever think about that I, I mean i think about it all the time like i said i'm a warrior i'm a worry work uh, anything that can happen i've done thought about it three times uh, right. <laughs> i mean i worry a lot about it uh, i know it's not going to you know, if I if I wreck, it's not going to be because I got sleepy because I'm going to be home time to go sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're <laughs> out there on the road, when you're out there on them roads, yeah. uh, it it, yeah. it it is. I talk like I told you earlier. I'm not a good traveler, but when I do travel, I'm wide awake in my in my truck. I can't. I, I don't know how you fall asleep behind the wheel, but I'm sure you can. But yeah. uh, it. <laughs> It's, you know, yeah, it's something you worry about. It's something your family sits at home and worries about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, like like I said earlier, it's something we don't take account of whenever we're taking our pay. You know, when we're sitting down talking to somebody about hunting a dog, we don't take none of that into consideration. That, mm-hmm. you know, you, you are risking, you know, you, there's a lot of mm-hmm. risks. Yeah, you know. for sure there is. And I can name hunters, you know, down through the years that have been in bad uh, truck wrecks and, and things. <clears throat> I, a personal experience that I had, uh, are you still there, Jason? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, I get calls from coon hunters all the time. Can you imagine I, that? I do too. And I don't know why they're coming through on my phone right now, <laughs> yeah. but I'll call them back. But <clears throat> just recently, uh, before Christmas, my, my wife had, had expressed that she just loved to have, a new house dog, you know, and she had her mind set on this little miniature dachshund. And we found one, but it was in Indiana. And I said, well, that's no problem. So I jumped on a plane, flew to uh, Dayton, uh, got a rental car, went, spent the night, and then got up next morning, picked up that little dog and drove all the way back to Florida. And by the time I got home, it was 3.30 in the morning, and that had been like 19 and a half hours. Now, I would never have dreamed that I would have driven that far without, you know, I'd stop for gas and, and the bathroom, yeah. uh, food and all. And I thought, but here, here's the point in all that. Um, I will not drive if I've got cobwebs in my head. I'm starting to get drowsy. Right. I don't care what it is. 
That's you know, I'm amazing. going to pull over. I, if yep. I can't get a motel or whatever, I'm going to pull over in a rest area or something, and I'm going to sleep. I don't care if it's the middle of the day or the middle of the I night. But I, I think sometimes, you know, we do risk uh, a lot, <laughs> you know, because all it takes is one little slip, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, we pray that those hand, <clears throat> handlers out there that are running up and down the highways, you know, that they'll be safe and that the Lord will take care of them while they're out there for sure. I had uh, one question here. We're getting down kind of toward the end of our list, and then I've kind of sneaked another one in on you here that I didn't tell you about. But uh, <clears throat> do you think there's a pretty good feeling of camaraderie between the handlers, you know, out there? Uh, with so much money, and maybe that goes along with what I was going to ask about uh, the the way the money is getting so big nowadays and all, but do you think <clears throat> that the camaraderie is pretty good among handlers out there? You know, we used to have the old saying, this guy's a, a, a clubhouse politician. He's the greatest guy in the world at the clubhouse and around the coffee pot and everything else. But then when the judge says, you know, collar them, you know, and cast them, you know, uh, some some people's uh, uh, true colors come. And you mentioned this already, but do, how is the temperature out there among these these handlers, these well, what we'll call big-time handlers? Well, there you go again. It's, diff- you know, different, different places, different things, but. For the most part, for the most part, if you notice something bad happens in the coon hunting world, we all pull together. We're all hmm. as one. We all help anybody yep. we can. But there's times in cast where when you cut loose, it'd be about like standing in one of them swamps you live in down there in Florida. There's so many snakes out there that it's, you know, hmm. it scares you. Hmm. But for the most part, yes, uh, like I said, everybody gets along. A, a good handler is like I told you a while ago. He's going to hold his feelings in no matter what. But I think a lot of it, you know, when a, when a man is hunting for $100,000 and the judge tells you to cut him, and they turn around and look at me and tell me good luck, you just might as well lie to me. Cause you don't mean, you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. mean that. You want to win just as much That's as I right. do. If That's I win, right. if I win, yes. Now you shake my hand, tell me congratulations. I can take that like you mean it. But whenever you tell me good luck and we just cut loose, I don't feel like you really mean that much. But, uh, <laughs> no, that's kind of a formality, I guess. That yes, we go it through. is. Yeah. It, it is. And uh, it, it, like I said, uh, it's it for the most part, yes. But at the same time, there's some that, you know, mm-hmm. just waiting for anything to come up where they can jump on it and, and get you to, about like an old snake would. But, yeah. Uh, it, it for the most part, I, I believe is, you know, yeah. Like yeah. I said, I, the, the the fact that if something I've sat and watched so many times, something bad happened to a coon hunter's family, and and all of them just pile in there. Oh, together. absolutely. So for me to say that, you know, for most part, coon hunters are good people. Mm-hmm. But me and a guy was talking last night, and they thought uh, they said, "Boy, you know, people talk about deer hunters being jealous." You ain't never met a jealous person till you met a coon hunter, and <laughs> and and I, I, you know, me as a person, I'm the, you know, that's a, that's natural, it's a natural. Yeah, we thing. are jealous. You've got a better yeah. dog than I do. I'm, I, yes. it would be now. This, I'm not 
I hope I'm not this way, but I know that I have been a bit that way at times in my life, you know, that I don't want to, you know, admit that somebody else has got a better dog or that I got beat, you know, right. uh, got out coon dogged, you know, as we say. I remember an instant one year at plot days, I was handling a dog and, and right out of the box, boy, I mean, he just blistered that cast. I mean, he hit us track and he he got that thing out of there going quick and got it treed and we looked at it and I jumped out 225 as UKC rules not a word as we say nowadays crickets you know yeah. not a word yeah. later on in the end of the cast his little dog got over there in the thicket and, and, and found a coon and treed it and had it by himself as soon as it was over um, I, I, you know, when we got the dog's handle and tree scored, I, I stuck out my hand. And I said, uh, your dog did a good job there. You right. need to be proud right. of him, you know. And, and then, <laughs> but the old devil jumped up on my shoulder. And I said, uh, but I'm still waiting for something. And he said, what's that? And I said, I'm waiting for you to do what I just did, is congratulate my, my dog for the job he did on that first <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and it were you know, I didn't need to do that, but I may it made me feel good because I thought, you know, that door swings both ways. That's right. You know, it what it does, does it hurt a hunter to tell a man that his dog did a good job? You know? Nothing. And and, and that's something you see a lot of. And the bigger hunts, you know, you, you we you know, there's there's good dogs out there and you see good dog work. Yeah, yeah. Most generally when somebody sees good dog work, whether they're up or they're down. They will, they will tell yeah. you. And, and good, good for dog, them. Mm -hmm. Your dog did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was one I was going to sneak in on you here that we didn't put on the list, Jason. And, and as I say, we're going to get down about to this part where I ask you, is there anything that we need to cover that we didn't already? <clears throat> and that old COVID still, you know, he, he worked on my throat pretty good <laughs> when yeah. I had that. So I, I think we've been at it here at least an hour and a half. I don't know exactly how long, but it's been great. But do you think, you know, now uh, these uh, $6,500 hunts and these $100,000 payouts and the truck hunts and without a name in all the organizations, we know who they are and whatever. And, and, and I, I, I don't, um, I, I don't mean to, to raise any specter of, 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 of doubt about any of them, but just generally speaking, do you think that this increase in the money and, and all of this has been generally good for our sport? Has it been detrimental to our sport? What's your overall thinking about that? Well, I think anytime you bring money into something, it's it, it's good to build. You've got to have money to build whatever, whether you're building a house or a business or, mm -hmm. or even a sport. But and, and And I think it's going to get bigger than what it really is now. But what you do done is we're not chasing the money. The, the money is just an add on. It's a it's something uh, extra that you're adding to it. We're chasing the prestige, fame, the, the prestige, the fame. You, you've took the prestige. Like you said but earlier, the Nationals used to be the hunt. You know, mm -hmm. everybody. The, the dog that won it, man, everybody classified him as a coon dog. 
Absolutely. Uh, nowadays, with you know, you've got a hunt every weekend somewhere, so you don't give the guy time enough to one to hunt last week to uh, enjoy mm. heat. Uh, you're on to someone else. Uh, the the little guys that you know can't afford the four thousand dollar entries, the twenty five hundreds. There is no prestige for them left anymore. Uh, used to be the state race was something big to get into. Uh, if you granted your dog out, and, and, you know, that was prestigious. There is, there ain't none of that no more. And I feel like the money has kind of took away from that aspect of it. But I don't, I don't see why there can't be both. Um, yeah, I think, I think with some time and the right people sitting down at the table together, uh, it could be brought up to where mm-hmm. both, both could be, you could get both from it. Uh, well, I'm not a golfer, uh, but you know, certainly people go out to these local golf courses around here in Florida. And we got a lot of them and play golf. Uh, of course the retirees, they can play any day of the week they want, but Saturday mornings is, should be in church on Sunday, but they're out there at the golf course. But the fact that there's a Masters, you know, or Pebble Beach or whatever, hasn't deterred those guys, you know, from wanting to play golf. And I'm hoping that that'll be the end result here. I guess if a guy is so competitive that he's not going to have fun unless he's winning a hunt, then he's not going to be happy with the fact that he can't pony up that four thousand dollars and go out there and play you know at a, at a, a major event uh and and i agree with you that uh a lot of guys are going to just say well that's out of that's a rich man's game and i'm certainly not rich so i'll find something else you know that i can do that i can get some enjoyment out of it or maybe make my mark in it you know there'll be a few people that just have the absolute opposite direction if those guys can do it or bobby burden can do that or or scotty engel can do that or whatever i can do it by golly and i'm going to show you you know that's what drove me don't tell me I can't, because I'll show you I can somehow or another. One way or the other, I'll put everything I've got into it to make it happen. But like I said, I think that if the right people get together, it, I mean, there's so many, you know, I, I mean, uh, somebody, I forget who it was, was talking the other day. There's so many things that's available in this sport that ain't been took advantage of for people that, even people that don't hunt. I mean, a business aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much open in this sport that people could come in and do that would not only help the sport would but would make them money but nobody's really took advantage of it yet uh i'll touch on one of them would be like uh not like a magazine but like a tv a tv broadcast like a podcast like of of all the handlers and the hunters that's one this week you know we could do a weekly thing on uh okay uh in arkansas at the hundred dollar open hunt we had you know a list of handlers and dogs that got in and won and you know that there's there's so much more we could be doing that we're not really doing to help the little guy feel like a big guy and and when 
And when the big guys get to hearing about that guy that's over there dominating them open hunts, well, that's going to open up him an opportunity to maybe get that job that we talked about earlier that, you know, where you get paid weekly. Uh, well, that's true. And I heard you mention that the other day on the podcast with Josh. And uh, the, the thing about it, that, and I've certainly had some experience down through the years uh, with getting sponsorship for major events and trying to sell ads in our magazines when I was, uh, you know, with, with Coonhound Bloodlines and with ProHound and and all the main hindrance to getting these deep pocket, we call them sponsors and, and people that can fund that kind of a uh, thing is the sheer numbers. You know, when you talk about a Super Bowl and, and you sell an ad for $700 million or whatever the outlandish thing is, that's because virtually every TV in America is tuned in to that Super Bowl, you know. So the numbers are, are basically what, you know, are our biggest challenge. Um, you know, when we get into legislative issues and all, we know that hunters – uh, give or take a percent one way or the other are about 10% of the population. The anti-hunters are about 10%, and the other 80% are just on the fence. You know, they don't have an opinion one way or the other, and those are the ones that we have to persuade when we get involved in a, a legislative battle or whatever. But it, we need to get the numbers up. We need to get the interest up and and certainly you know the, the social media and these podcasts now i mean you know when chris powell and i started houndsman xp podcast you know we were the only game in town basically as far as tree right. dogs and right. now there's several you know yeah. and, and getting to be more all the time and um so there's a lot more talk going on about coon for sure and and the scope of, of of you know spreading the word around through all kinds of different ways you know uh, it's certainly happening, but you know the sheer numbers are the things that are are holding us back right now. If we can just get more people involved in the sport, and, and there again, you know it's it. Chicken and egg, you get back to the well, thing. Are these big hunts discouraging the little guys from getting in? I'm well, I'm not saying they are. I'm just asking, you know, are they? No, I, I just feel like the more the more prestige, the more fame, mm -hmm. the more mm -hmm. more these people are covered, the more others are gonna come in and be like, Hey, I yeah. you know, I won't be tough. And there's many avenues along with the hunting, you know. Like you talked about listening to Phil uh Robertson's podcast mm -hmm. you you learned from him from uh you learned about him through duck dynasty exactly yeah. there's there's you know as much comedy and soap operas going on in the coon hunting world as there is <laughs> yeah, I, for promise sure. you, I promise you. yeah well that's um, for sure and, and you've touched on something that there is, is and i'll call it just kind of the spectacle of coon hunting there's probably a lot of people out there sitting on their couch and flipping around and say, look at what these guys are doing out there running around at night with these lights right. on their head, listening to dog. What, what these crazy people do? It's kind of like, what was that crazy series that was on but Lion King or something like that? Yeah, what, whatever it was. Yeah, and the country went crazy over it, you know. Yeah. 
uh, I watched, I think, one episode, and I said, no, this is not for me. But, yeah. but you, you know, the um, I guess the challenge is to present it in a way that doesn't disparage uh, the sport right. or make us look like a bunch of rednecks that are out there, you know, uh, running around with guns at night, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, but uh, but which is what we are basically. But we've got a well, there's a method to our madness, you know. We we generally do it in an orderly way, you know. But you know, one thing just kind of occurred to me, man, Jason. I could talk to you all day, buddy, and I think we have just about. But do you, you know, I used to hear this a lot when I was at the at the registries. And, I, of course, I heard about all the problems, you know. They all came across my desk or came on the phone on Monday morning or or whatever. If there was a cheating or if there had been a, an altercation or somebody switched the papers on a dog or, you know, just on and on. There were always those little things. What do you think is a do you think there's a deep state in coon hunting where there's this underbelly where all this <clears throat> cheating and all this um, you know um, uh, what's the word I want to use right now um, I can't I can't grab that word but or you know is what we see on the surface pretty much what the sport is and there's just a few bad actors along the way. Well, what, what's your thoughts about that? Just like I told you earlier, you let something bad happen, you'll see what this sport's about. But it, it just like anything, any game that you play, you, there's going to be some cheaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's even checkers, I mean, I've been in checker games where I turn my head and somebody makes a jump. I mean, that's just part <laughs> of it. I, you know, it, it it don't look down on the game. It ain't the yeah. game of checkers that yeah. calls that. It's the player that's in the game. That's uh, right. Just you gonna have it. It's in every game. It's not just ours. It's you know sports, uh, football, basketball, baseball. It's just we notice it more in our game because we're so mm-hmm. we're so much into our game with our soul and our heart and our mind and everything revolves around the dog. That when we hear it in our sport, it's like oh you know we're you know why you know how you know why are you you know it, it's just mm. it. it just the world we live in. It's yeah, not that's right. And we game. don't, the old saying is, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, right. you know, you can't, or, or paint us all with one brush. <clears throat> uh, you know, I can look at the list of people who have been barred by the registries, and, and sometimes it's kind of like oh, home week to me because I remember being there a lot of times when they <laughs> were you know, barred, but I don't hear that much of that anymore. I think we've done a good job of policing our sport and trying to present it in a professional way. I've enjoyed watching the, uh, backwoods productions, uh, videos of the pro sport hunts and, and of the Eddie Simmons, uh, did this past weekend of the Jarvis, uh, uh, Humphers hunt and and all that and that's all taking our sport to the next level the the perfectionist in me is man we need better lighting we need better Absolutely. cameras we Absolutely. need you know it needs to, <clears throat> to graduate now 
from the cell phone video stage. And that's not criticizing anybody that's doing that, okay? God bless them. Uh, Greg Maynard and and whoever's involved with that, uh, we appreciate you, and we're glad you're doing it. But now it's time to take it to the next level. Yes. I agree. I agree 100%. All right. Y'all did a good job up there at the UKC, hon. I think y'all set the y'all set what we need to be doing with y'all up there at that table. Now I can add some things that we'll talk about later on. I'll just me and you. Maybe just we'll just talk about it, me and you, so nobody steps on my toes with ideas that I've got. But well, I definitely want to talk to you about that because yeah. <laughs> I've been invited to come back. Uh, for that, the tournament champions, and they're going to mix it up a little bit, and there's going to be some more uh, analysts uh, there uh, besides yeah. just me. I, I couldn't believe it was on camera for eight and a half hours up there yes. uh, last yeah. spring, so that definitely needs to change. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, hats off to UKC there for yes, uh, they, they now have a media, job. yeah, yeah. A great job. That was a great hunt put on, and I think they're going to get bigger and better every uh, year with that. Yeah. Well, it was a, a game changer for UKC, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Came along, you know, at a time when they needed that, and uh, hats off to them. And it was interesting just yeah. now. I, I saw a call beeping in Alan Gingrich uh, there, and you know, I, I especially want to tip my hat to to Roger Dale and and to. Uh, you know, Shane now and Jerry, of course, Jerry and I worked together at the AKC, terrific guy. And, and everybody that works in, and Alan and Trevor at UKC and everybody that works behind the desk at these registries, because the average coon hunter really doesn't have a clue what oh, goes boy. on back, back yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I don't know how y'all lived as long as y'all have. Well, that's it. You hmm. wonder, some days you went out and, crawled under your truck and looked around to make sure yeah. there wasn't any strange wiring yeah. under there. Yeah. But the phone's still going off. Uh, Even though you're under the truck, it don't stop the phone from ringing. No, that's for sure. Yeah. And and I love my coon hunting uh, network of the people, and they've been so gracious yeah. to me to to allow me to still, you know, get my hand in a little bit, something I've loved for so many years. But, uh, well, you know, I'll restate, uh, Jason, and and, and, uh, first of all, let me say, is there anything that we, that's just burning in your belly right now that we should have talked about today before we, uh, you know, call this a a, a day? No, Steve, we could talk dogs for days, and we still wouldn't touch at all, but we I mean, pretty much you've hit a lot of it today, and I'm sure we'll get together and do it again soon. Well, I hope so. I'm going to take that as a commitment, okay? <laughs> yep, we'll, we'll, we'll leave some form for next time, you know. That's right. Well, you know, I said I think earlier, and my goal in podcasting, you know, is is not simply to get a, a bunch of people on here to talk about how long they've hunted or how they got started, but to try to entertain and, in, and educate the listeners that are going to invest their time in sitting and listening to the podcast and try to get a good quality sound. And really thankful for the people at W Hunting Supply out 
there in Washington State that uh, provide the platform for me to do this every week. And uh, I just saw a new announcement. There's a new collar that's out there so we can get in, get our our credit cards and our pocketbooks out and get the latest. They're going to send me one of them. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. And, uh, you know, and we appreciate what they do out there. Uh, They do such a great job with their customer service. And also shout out to to Buddy Woodbury and Jason Doobie and all the people at at DU Supply and to Shannon out there that produces this podcast every week for me. I want to thank her especially. Well, Jason Dartry, you've been just a super, super guy to to have on the show today. I hope that you and I will be, have many conversations uh, coming down the road. I'd like to get out there and sit in uh, on the tailgate with you, and and I'll be with you riding that four wheeler or the or side by side to the tree, probably. But uh, yeah, yeah. it's something I'm, I know I would enjoy because you're you're a coon hunter, and that's yes. that's the kind of people I enjoy talking to. Well, I appreciate you having me, man. I'm honored. Well, well, it, it's been all my pleasure, and we wish you a great time, and we'll look for you in the winter circle, brother. All right, buddy. Thank you. Well, folks, that's a wrap on our podcast today. I think you agree with me that Jason was a great guest and a guy that any cooner, I think, would enjoy talking with, and, and we thank him for his time. I'll close this out like I always do. If somebody asks you, where's Steve Fielder? Just tell them why he's gone to the dogs.